This podcast is part of the Batman Universe Podcast Network, hosted by the BatmanUniverse.net. Check out everything related to Batman and the entire Bat family at the BatmanUniverse.net, including news and original content related to comics, movies, television, merchandise, video games, and more. Also, check out some of the other unique podcasts that TBU has to offer. Consider supporting this podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. Even $1 can go a long way in supporting this content that you enjoy. Look for a link over at thebatmanuniverse.net to offer your support now. And now, on with the show. Gothamites, welcome to Batman Books, The Dark Knight in Prose, where the only pictures are those formed in the imagination. I'm Lane, and with me today for the, the remainder of the book, I'm glad to have him along, is Pax. Hi Pax, how you doing? I am good, Lane. How are you? I am. It's actually kind of nice to be on Skype again. I've been using Zoom for the past however many decades 2020 has lasted. <laughs> so many decades. <laughs> so many decades. So many. <laughs> We've had like a little hiatus for our little discussions for like mm -hmm. a while here because just because of the real life, you know, and so it's good to be back talking to you. Yeah, same here. Today we're covering chapters 26 through 30. Man, as much of a hiatus as we've taken here and there, it just it still feels like we're just zipping through this book. Yeah, I thought that too, uh, redoing the reading. And I was like, man, we're really this far through the book. That's crazy. If I had been putting episodes out as often as I used to, I used to be able to put them out every two weeks. And I don't know how I did that. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I do want to try to get better than, you know, every couple months. But anyway, we would, would have finished this book a while ago, I believe. So actually, listeners, I'm doing you all a favor by being incredible lazy. I'm just teasing out the goodness. That's right. Just stretching it along. <laughs> All right. So you ready to get started? Yes, let's do. Chapter 26, Scene 1. Alfred strode across the foyer, a bowl of roasted chestnuts in his hands. He heard Mr. Wayne's footsteps before he saw him, allowing him to neatly sidestep his employer and thus avoid collision. Sorry, Alfred, Mr. Wayne gulped, trying hard to regain his breath. I have to get to the plaza. You heard the penguin. He was practically begging me to show. Alfred did find this most recent statement disappointing. Which is why I hoped you'd snub him, he remarked calmly. Chapter 26. The first scene is from Alfred's point of view. Alfred! Yay! <laughs> so, yay, we love Alfred. If you remember from where we left off last time, I think Selina and Bruce were having a little kind of date in Wayne Manor, they were kind of sitting in his den and uh, watching the news, which sounds terribly romantic. Yeah, why was the news on? That made no sense. <laughs> well, I think they were going to watch the lighting of That's the Christmas right. tree. Yeah, they were. And okay. then Penguin jumped in and did his thing. And so. it became news. Okay. That's yes, exactly. So, and this is where we're picking up. Um, Alfred is heading back to where Bruce and Selena are having their evening together. And he's got a bowl of roasted chestnuts in his hand. <laughs> And uh, he has to sidestep Bruce, who is running around absently, as Bruce's are wont to do. They are very wont to do that. And I can picture Michael Keaton doing this so well. He, he does an absent-minded Bruce Wayne very well. Mm-hmm. He does. Bruce is 
kind of out of breath. And he's like, I have to get to the plaza. You you heard Penguin. He was practically begging me to show. And he starts coming up with these excuses as to why he has to ditch <laughs> Selena. <laughs> and I love, because we see here, like, this is where Bruce gives the dirty work to Alfred. You know, it's like, <laughs> you go tell my date why I just left her. <laughs> you know, because mm-hmm. she'll have no idea. So you, And so he's, like, trying to tell her, like, business deals and all this. And he's just like, that's not going to work. Yeah, mm-hmm. I feel like this is a bit of a challenge because I can't fathom what kind of excuse would work for like, hey, we've been spending the evening together in my den, but suddenly I have to leave the room and I can't tell you that I'm leaving. Yeah, it's but you know, if anyone can figure it out, it's going to be Alfred. Yeah, I mean, and they were in, they were in the middle, they were watching TV, but they were also in the middle of a makeout sesh, you know, so uh-huh. so they were totally getting hot and heavy, and then he just bolts. I mean, you're right. I mean, what excuse could you give? <laughs> it's uh, yeah, it's Alfred having to do dirty work again. Yep. So Bruce takes off because, of course. And Alfred begins making his way again toward the den, and this time Selina rushes out, and she's also kind of in a breathless rush. And comically, she kind of goes through the same thing, trying to come up with excuses that Alfred can tell Bruce as to why she had to leave. She asks Alfred to whip up a sonnet or a sonnet or a dirty limerick <laughs> or something. <laughs> I love I love that line. That's a great or a dirty limerick or something. I think that's great. And luckily yeah. for Bruce, you know, like he's all worried about the excuse. Luckily for Bruce, the girl he's making out with is also Catwoman, so she's got to rush out too. So it's it's he's not in that big of a trouble. Yeah, so basically, Alfred just had his work taken care of for him. So, yeah, he he can go on about dusting the manor and just being awesome. (laughs) And continuing decorating the manor without Bruce. Yeah. (laughs) And he he decides that he likes this Selena chick and that she and Bruce were made for each other. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. Chapter 26, scene two. It was too bad, really. They had come so close. But Bruce didn't want to have to explain those scars on his stomach. Not yet. Batman had gotten in the way of Bruce Wayne's last relationship, and he supposed he would eventually have to let his alter ego into this relationship as well. But somehow he wanted a little romance before the complications set in. Bruce quickly donned a suit, and Batman jumped into the Batmobile and headed for downtown Gotham City. Scene two is from Bruce's point of view. You could probably read this scene in a breath. It's one of those very short ones. And uh, there's a few sentences telling us that Bruce didn't want to have to explain the scars on his stomach. Mm -hmm. And that was like, I had to think back where it had been so long since we recorded. You know, (laughs) she was starting to kind of tug at his shirt. And he's like, oh, crap, I have those marks from from, uh, Catwoman. I don't want to have to explain that. And she had the same thing with her shoulder because she got the napalm on her shoulder. So they're trying to hide their their wounds from each other. Mm Mm-hmm. And I don't know if scars would be the... It seems like it had just happened. Yeah, I I thought that too when I read it. I mean, I think scars sounds good. So maybe it was a writer kind of like uh, literary license. But uh, yeah, I agree. I I didn't think scars sounded right. It was like wounds or whatever. (laughs) The precise writer in me changed it from... Uh, scars on his stomach to scabs on his abdomen. Because that, that's not a stomach, it's an abdomen. I'm sorry. Yeah, anyway. exactly. <laughs> also, during this little scene, we learned that the Batman persona kind of got in the way of his last relationship, presumably with Vicky Vale. And he would eventually need to let his alter ego into this relationship, too. But first, he hoped to get a little romance. 
So, brown chicka brown Is that I did? Oh man, I didn't even think about that. Yeah, I guess that's what he's talking about. It's like you get a little bound chicka bow bow. I was just thinking it was an interesting little moment where he's like reflecting on this idea that he's Batman and it always ruins his relationships and he just wanted a little bit of like I would just took it as face value romance but romance yeah totally I, I totally get that I can also definitely see it like he just wants a connection with someone but so he, he climbs into the bat suit and heads out to Gotham City that is the end of that scene. The The bats and the cats have flown the coop at Wayne Manor, leaving Alfred there to eat those roasted chestnuts. <laughs> All and... by himself. Yeah. That's <laughs> <laughs> what he does. He gets left there. That's his job. <laughs> oh. He can go back to, like, creating pantomime scenes with the busts that are in the, the study and just kind of talk to them. And he has to... He has to have a very rich fantasy world to, to deal with his loneliness. <laughs> yeah, I could see him going up to bus and kind of tilting him forward and talking. How are you today, Alfred? <laughs> I'm fine, thanks yeah, for just, asking. <laughs> I just made myself sad for Alfred. <laughs> I know, it's so sad. <laughs> oh, goodness. Chapter 26, Scene 3. She was so glad she had decided to drive herself to Wayne Manor. When Bruce had ushered her into the car, he had asked if she wanted to come up to the house now or wait until the evening. She had opted for the evening and directions to the mansion, even though Bruce had volunteered Alfred's chauffeuring services. A woman, after all, needed her independence. Now, though, she needed to be in Gotham Plaza. So the third scene is from Selena's point of view. So earlier... Uh, I think you and I had men maybe mentioned it when we recorded that she had gotten right into the car with Bruce to head up to the manor, and you know, so I thought like when he's like, "Hey, do you wanna you wanna watch the uh, the the news with me this morning <laughs> or this evening?" Wink, wink, nudge, nudge. She had gotten in the car, and we thought you know they they just went right there, but actually uh, we learned that in the car Bruce had asked if she wanted to go to the house now or in the evening, and she chose the evening. And had opted to drive herself rather than have uh, Alfred pick her up. And there's a quote, a woman, after all, needed her independence. And uh, yeah, I don't know about her. I hate being anywhere without a car. Yeah. Do you get that too? I totally get that. Where it's you just feel stranded and yes. you're completely uh, dependent on someone else to get you. I hate that. I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> anyone who's listening who's not from the states you know we have a serious lack of public transportation in this country so i i know when i visited my now husband in england like we could hop on the bus and then take a, a train or you know we, we could get from point a to point b fairly easily but here you know our options in some of our cities and smaller towns are very very limited so there's very much a, a car dependency in this country and among in, in other countries also but um yeah even if i just have the oil change i'll sometimes have my coworker kind of follow me and he'll give me a ride back to to work and even though i would have been sitting at my desk anyway i just get twitchy knowing that my car is not outside <laughs> <laughs> yeah i mean that's part of it too like even if i'm with somewhere i'm somewhere and i don't have my car even if I wasn't going to go somewhere, like having the car there just makes me feel better. Like it's like, yeah. you know, I, I had no plans to go anywhere, but just knowing I have that car, I feel better. <laughs> mm -hmm. Yeah, I'm glad I'm not the only one. So she digs out her Catwoman costume, which was under some old magazines and <laughs> diet cola cans. 
and romance was nice, but she wanted action. So we see a little bit of the uh, difference between Bruce and Selena there. Yeah, I like I like the they give us the contrast here where he's got you know the vault and, and jumps in the Batmobile and you know puts on his uniform where she's got to get in the car, she's got to dig out her costume and change in the car, and it's uh, <laughs> not quite as glamorous. And I, I like that uh, back and forth they show there. And I don't know why I didn't even catch that she was in her car. I should have. For some reason, I pictured that she had like driven back to her apartment when she was changing real quick. But yeah, that makes much more sense that she has it just in her car so she could change. Yeah. Chapter 26, Scene 4. Batman guided the Batmobile into a deserted alley immediately behind the plaza. At first glance, it appeared that the police had managed to restore some order to the proceedings. Still, he needed to be here. He was sure the capture of the Ice Princess wasn't the Penguin's only plan, but part of some larger picture, and Batman wanted to be there when the Penguin pulled something new from his soiled sleeve. He jumped from the car, pausing only long enough to activate the Batmobile's security shields. Then he headed swiftly and silently toward the plaza, his dark costume blending with the shadows. Alright, the fourth scene is from Batman's point of view. So he arrives to the plaza and parks in a deserted alley. I don't know if you remember from the first book, all those dead-end alleys that Gotham seems to have. There's so many alleys. Yeah, it's just a a nice young family can't expect to go in there and all of them come out alive, can they, Bruce? Right. I mean, and they probably all have names, you know, like, you know, there's Crime Alley where his family lies. There's probably Murder Alley and (laughs) Stab You in the Gut Alley. (laughs) Bloodletting Alley. Bloodletting Alley. (laughs) Head Trauma Alley over there. (laughs) Blunt Force Trauma Alley. (laughs) Right. Gotta love Gotham. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. So, you know, Batman looks around, looks like things had calmed down, uh, but he still needed to get there. He was sure that the Ice Princess kidnapping hadn't been the Penguin's ultimate goal, that it was part of a bigger plan. And sure enough, we know that that is indeed the case. That is true. And I I love when he arrives, like the first thing he notices is that the GCPD have brought some order to chaos and mm-hmm. it, like they, he has to point that out you know and we've been talking about how useless gcpd has been <laughs> through pretty much both movies here uh yeah. and, and both books and so like especially the one we're reading well i love the i mean they pointed out here it's like oh they're at least handling their job right now yeah. they're not just like we can't do it without batman yeah <laughs> well we don't know anything about any acrobats being there so that True. might be why yeah <laughs> might be easier for them to handle so he exits the batmobile and activates the security shields and melts into the shadows heading toward the plaza did the first movie did that have security shields or did they pop in on this one yeah the first movie had shields as well did it yes okay chapter 26 scene 5 fools let them try to establish order the only orders around here would come from the penguin Still, they tried to set the Klieg lights working, swinging back and forth as if nothing was wrong. And there was the mayor, soon to be the ex-mayor, pitifully attempting to restore order. Uh, let's see. So the last scene in chapter 26 is from Penguin's point of view. So Penguin is smugly watching, quote-unquote, them trying to re-establish order. But the only orders around here would come from him. Uh, Klieg lights, which I... 
I had never heard of before. <laughs> uh, apparently, they're this, the spotlights that you think of with, uh, like, the entertainment industry, like the movie spotlights. Yep. That I did not know. I've heard that term, but I don't think I knew I, it, they were used for the big spotlights. So mm-hmm. I, I double, I looked it up like you just to be sure. And I'm like, oh, I, I, I've heard of Klee lights. I just didn't know that's what they were. Okay. Yeah. I can't remember if we ever looked to see if the author is uh, British. Because uh, he mentioned, remember, the Union suit instead of the Long, long Johns. True. Yeah. And right. then later he, there's a mention of, you know, eating something that has fiber in it and it has the the uk spelling so i I don't know i need to look at that but yeah anyway yeah yeah i i noticed i think that comes up in a minute but yeah the fiber i noticed that as well and i was like is that a (laughs) is that a like an an editing mistake or was that just him doing that that i thought that was interesting Mm -hmm. so the mayor or soon to be ex-mayor yells into the microphone fellow citizens there's no need for panic this can still be a party that Gotham will remember for, and then the rest of his words are drowned out in feedback. And the feedback is caused by a certain penguin twisting the knobs on the controls to the speaker system. Uh, so we learn that his helpers are also busy with toolboxes. They found the Batmobile, which was really quick, by the way. Yeah. And one of them, uh, of the Red Triangle Circus gang, climbs on top and, quote, with the aid of a primitive but still quite effective handheld laser, disabled the whole system. That was easy. Yeah, okay, we, we do need to discuss this whole situation. Um, I, I do like at the beginning of this, as you were saying, penguins manipulating these buttons and putting feedback into the mayor's uh, microphones and speaker system. Um, I, I like that this is a good foreshadowing of what Batman's going to do to Penguin later on in the story. Um, mm-hmm. But then, so yeah, then we, then we get to the Red Circle gang infiltrating the Batmobile. Uh, even even in the movie, in this story, I do not like this idea that they have so easily infiltrated the Batmobile. It is, I don't know. It just I feel like the Batmobile should be a little bit more difficult to get into for like a bunch of carnies. Than, exactly. I mean, it's like it seems way too easy for these guys to get into the Batmobile. Yeah, I don't even know if having the plans for that vehicle, because I don't know if they ever mentioned if that vehicle was bought and then was modified later by Bruce, or if they have the plans for the Batmobile, which that would be my assumption, because they seem to know what to do uh, to sabotage it here. But yeah, I wouldn't have thought that they could break into the Batmobile basically with like a a cat laser pointer toy. Yeah. Um, and I think we talked about that earlier um, because the book does mention uh, when we saw the gang looking at the plans in the Penguin's lair, I think the book mentions, the movie does not, the book mentions they bought the plans off of one of the original designers, which right. do, which I remember us talking about. That makes no sense because why would Bruce have left the plans with someone else? There's, I mean, there's yeah. that would never have happened unless he had an illicit copy that he was just like, I'll hold on to these because this may... I mean, that, I guess that could have happened, but um, it still seems like Bruce would have dotted his I's and crossed his T's on that one. Definitely. So, yeah, so so basically with that uh, shield system being disabled, they start working like little worker ants. And uh, it says they dismantle the Batmobile, but actually they're not going for like a full dismantle, which we'll get into. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, chapter 26. Um, I had a thought and it kind of like went out of my head. 
Uh, oh, yeah, I remember what it was now. I think a lot of this could have been saved if the author could go into more detail about why this worked or why that worked. I think with so, so much of it happening off panel land, as it were, kind of like, oh yeah, they, they had a laser and they were able to get into the Batmobile. <laughs> Hooray! It's like, okay, but a little bit more maybe. I think Andrew Vax would have really gone in with like the intricate detail and, you know, special ops items that I'd never heard of and bringing that to the table, which I really loved in his book. It just made it feel so Batman-y. Yeah, I mean, it's one thing, like, having, like, if they had introduced some, like, Penguin or Max even, had found this crazy, like, mechanical genius guy that took, maybe they, they got the plans and he looked over them and then figured out, like, some jury-rigged little device that was able to mm-hmm. to do it and then made a big deal about that. That would have been even better than just having, like, you know, the like just the circus folk like easily break in and do whatever it is they need to do. Uh, like right, that would have been. Yeah, you're right. So some little explanation more than just giving it to the Red Circle gang to be able to do it. Yeah, and you know, again, I, I kind of give the author some uh, wiggle room because it's a novelization, and you had mentioned before that they really don't have a lot of time to work. They they're basically given like like this is what the movie is. So get <laughs> right. to writing a book so it can be released the same day, basically. So. And I can see him being in a meeting and being like, okay, well, the Red Triangle gang breaks into the Batmobile and does this. And it's like, well, how do they do that? I don't know. They just do it. So <laughs> you just got to figure yeah. it out. <laughs> exactly. Chapter 27, Scene 1. Batman watched the events in Gotham Plaza from the shadows. The mayor was valiantly attempting to calm the crowd, but half his speech was lost in feedback. Incest will be safely managed to get through the noise. Batman will be brought in for question, but Batman had no more time for the mayor's words, for he saw a light on in a window across from him, and in that window was the bound and gagged ice princess. There was no time for explanations to the mayor, not yet. He shot out a grapple and line to the ledge above. In a short time, his actions would speak far louder than his words. Chapter 27, scene 1, is from Batman's point of view. Batman is watching the events in Gotham Plaza from the shadows. Of course he did. It's Batman. As he is wont to do. As you mentioned. <laughs> yes. That is my go-to phrase. I bet that's how Batman are wont to do. That's how Batman do. <laughs> Through the feedback of the microphone, he can catch a few of the mayor's words. But Batman's attention is grabbed by a light in a window across from him. And in the window is the bound and gagged Ice Princess. So he shoots out a grapple line and proceeds to do what Batman do. <laughs> the scene ends there. <laughs> yeah. It's just him surveying the situation and finding her. And uh, you do hear uh, the mayor talking about how they're going to apprehend Batman. So they're already thinking Batman's a part of this. It, this whole section here, one of my beefs. So we had the Batmobile section. Now we've got... Everyone turns on Batman way too easy section. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of detective work that Batman is doing in <laughs> anything so far. It's like, all right, I've got to say the Ice Princess. Oh, there she is. <laughs> there she, you know? <laughs> I turned my head. There she is. <laughs> <laughs> That's another one for the good guys, Alfred. <laughs> Chapter 27, scene two. The penguin played the control knobs like they were a grand piano. Let in a few words here, a few words there. 
just enough to give the mayor hope he could be heard while totally confusing his audience. His minions had by now totally dismantled the Batmobile. Ah, but that was only the beginning of the fun. For now, they added a clamp here, twisted a wire there, so that the controls no longer acted in quite the way they did before. And the piece de resistance? Why, that special antenna they installed on the underside of the car, so that the Batmobile could be totally controlled by an outside signal. A signal managed by someone who is very good at twisting knobs. The second scene is from Penguin's point of view. So he's still playing with the knobs. And it's it's kind of surprising that a tech hasn't come to check out the system. And I would imagine like with, you know, live TV and the mayor being up there talking, you'd think they'd monitor that. But I don't know. Maybe with all the commotion, maybe they ran for their lives. That could be as well. I didn't think about that. Oh until yeah, now. That, that's a good point. I because I, I, I thought that too. I'm like, on a big speech like that with the mayor, they'd have some tech there ready to do. But you're right. There's a whole big chaos thing going on. Again, that's something that could have easily been fixed if the author had just mentioned it. But that's all right. We'll we'll fill in the blanks. It's fine. <laughs> Total speculation. Total. So his minions had by now totally dismantled the Batmobile. And I was like, I hope not. I want to see them on on page taking it apart. I, I have some kind of uh, sick delight in watching that, I think. <laughs> uh, but then we learned that they're not completely dismantling it. They're just adding a clamp here, twisting a wire there, and added a, quote, special antenna so the Batmobile could be totally controlled by an outside signal. A signal managed by someone who is very good at twisting knobs. Mm-hmm. So... Interesting. Yep. So I had a mental image of Batman returning to a pile of Batmobile parts. <laughs> <laughs> that would be interesting. That'd be an interesting one. <laughs> and then he'd have to start leaving a rose down that alley too. <laughs> <laughs> For my Batmobile. <laughs> <laughs> he'd have to leave like a rose at each part, like <laughs> every uh, every alley that something happened. <laughs> <laughs> it's each little Batmobile part is outlined in chalk, <laughs> and he has to. Yes, I put a rose on everyone. This was the alley where I lost my grappling hook. This is the, my Batmobile alley. Chapter 27, Scene 3. Batman crashed through the window into the room that held the ice princess. The place was bare except for the woman and the chair that they had tied her to. He quickly crossed the room and pulled the gag from her mouth. She started to thank him as he examined the ropes that held her. We've got to hurry, he explained. I was set up to look like I did this. No sweat, the ice princess replied brightly. I'll just tell the police I was kidnapped by an ugly bird man with fish breath. Another woman's voice cut in. Did someone say fish? Catwoman dropped down from somewhere overhead. Yummy, she remarked. I haven't been fed all day. The third scene of chapter 27 is from Batman's point of view again, and he enters the room where the ice princess is being held. He ungags her and mentions that he was being framed for her kidnapping. And the ice princess was like, no sweat. I'll just tell the police that I was kidnapped by a bird man with fish breath. <laughs> uh, so, I like uh, that was a good one. I like <laughs> you're welcome. You're welcome, world. <laughs> I don't get to do like, my valley girl voice very often. But when I do, it just it comes way too naturally to me. <laughs> any, t- any chance you have to pull that one out, you need to do it. So, at the mention of fish breath, Catwoman drops in and says, Yummy, I haven't been fed all day. Uh, She takes a kick at Batman, and Batman, using her momentum, kind of flips her somehow. 
I'm guessing that she kicks upward, maybe, and he just kind of carries that upward swing through to, to flip her over. I'm not sure. Yeah, I was trying to think about that, too, because depending on the kick, I mean, I guess you could have grabbed the leg and swung her around, but that still seems kind of <laughs> awkward, too. He tells her, uh, you know, eat floor, it's high in fiber, and that's where that... <laughs> F-I-B-R-E spelling is that was it is I noticed that too I think that's a funny line I wrote I I mainly noticed it because I thought it was a funny line it's uh if I remember it's not in the movie and so when I I read it I was like that's a pretty funny line I wish they would have used it yeah and like you said before like we don't get Batman making a lot of jokes so it's kind of fun seeing them pop up when they're when they're there Catwoman pouts and says hey stud I thought we had something together and my thought was you attacked first (laughs) that's true he was self-defense ah girl get it together (laughs) batman then headbutts her and to my surprise catwoman shakes it off you know Mm. because he he's got the the helmet the helmeted cowl and all that and she's just got you know bits of stuffed animals or whatever it was she sewed (laughs) together it was stuffed animals (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, she, she shakes it off. Um, I guess you kind of have to roll with the punches when you work with Max Shrek for so long. <laughs> you do. So Work with what you got. Uh, <laughs> exactly. She backflips away from him, but she's backflipping toward the Ice Princess, and she uses her claws to cut the rope that held the Ice Princess. And I kind of like that because we mentioned Bruce wanting some romance and Selena wanting action. Well, before Bruce or Batman was studying the knots and not doing anything, but Selina, like in a, a second, just cuts through the Gordian knot, as it were, and <laughs> just like, you know, I'm here, you're untied now. So I kind of like that little uh, dichotomy there. I like that, too. I also like um, in this in this fight, um, it mentions that uh, Batman is impressed with Catwoman's uh, prowess like mm-hmm. in many different like she shrugged off that headbutt um her flipping around like her fighting and um undoing it like he, he makes a mental note that he's like he's kind of impressed with what he's seeing which he should be you never you never see anything like that so i like the book kind of called it out it's like who who is this girl she's as, almost as good as i am you know and yeah uh, so I, I i like that i like that little mention in there after she cuts the ropes that hold the ice princess, she says, gotta go, girl talk, guys keep out. She throws the chair at Batman and then pulls the ice princess through the doorway. And, you know, they close the door, or, well, she closes the door behind them. And by the time Batman gets through, it's locked and he has to kick it and make sure his cape swirls fetchingly as he does so. Um, he gets through the hallway and he sees an open window at the end of the hallway. So he, of course, goes through the window, gets up to the roof, and he finds the ice princess standing up there alone. She says, she let me go, I think because I reasoned with her, girl to girl. <laughs> Does she really believe that? I wonder if she really yeah. believes that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. Well, she's not been painted in the most intelligent light <laughs> so far. So. Has not. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Batman is a little sus. He tells her to uh, move slowly toward him away from the edge. The ice princess takes a step and then finally he packs. This is the first time, if I remember correctly, this is the first time that Penguin gives Batman solid proof that he's a bad guy. I think up until then it had had all been speculation on Batman's part. Right. Because we had talked before about, you know, why doesn't he just go after the Red Triangle Circus gang and then if... Penguin is tied to them as he suspects, and he can just find him through them. But yeah, I, I, if I believe this is the first time that he does something in front of Batman's eyes that that proves to him that he's uh, he's yeah. not 
not a stand-up citizen. Right. I, I think you're right. This is first concrete proof to Batman. Before, he was just kind of, I know something's up with this guy, but he could never prove it. Mm-hmm. So this was funny. It kind of made me chuckle. He throws an umbrella at the ice princess and he says, look out, lawn dart. <laughs> and kids these days <laughs> won't remember the lawn darts. <laughs> Uh, do you remember them, Pax? I do remember the lawn darts. Yeah, because I, I don't. I never owned any, but basically they were well, maybe like a good foot long total with the spike. Mm-hmm. I don't know, something like that. But they were just little darts that you were supposed to kind of just fling up in the air, I guess, and they would you know come down spike first and land in the lawn in the in the ground. I'm sure there was something more to it than that, but, you know, I never had them, like I said. <laughs> if I remember correctly, they were like horseshoes. So that you can't, they came with like circles and you put mm-hmm. the circles and then you back away from the circle and you throw the darts up and try to bullseye them into the circles. Gotcha. And so that that's kind of what the idea behind the game was. and But I don't think anyone ever played them that way. <laughs> yeah, no. Basically, it was like, uh, let's uh, fling them up in the air and then everyone run for your lives. <laughs> that's pretty much how I remember playing. <laughs> yeah. So long darts didn't, I think they got pulled from the shelves pretty quickly because, they, you know, a, a sharp projectile for children to play with, what could go wrong? Yeah. No, nothing, so yeah, nothing so he, 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 he. <laughs> He brought back uh, memories of my childhood when he said, look out, lawn dart. I know. So he he throws the (laughs) umbrella and it embeds in the roof inches away from her feet. So she steps back and Batman says, no, don't panic. And uh, the umbrella opens up and releases a cloud of tiny flying bats. Yep. I was like, hmm, okay. Not sure how you, okay, all right. He's resourceful. I'll give him that. Yeah, totally. And there's a quote. Uh, the Ice Princess screamed, trying to somehow get away from the flock of rodents. They're not rodents. <laughs> that is one of my pet peeves. <laughs> They're not rodents. Uh, I'll be okay. I just, I just, I had to, I had to take a moment. <laughs> anyway, and I think part of that is because I, I had ferrets in in my past. I had one past uh, a few months ago of old age, but. People talked about them being rodents. I'm like, no, they're not rodents. If you look at their teeth, they look more like cats. But anyway. <laughs> <sighs> this week on What Triggers Lane. Yeah. Pet, <laughs> Lane's pet peeves. <laughs> so, uh, predictably, the ice princess topples over the edge as she's flailing, trying to get away from these bats. And the Klieg light illuminates her fall to her death. Dun, dun, dun. So, bye-bye, ice princess. Sad to see you go. <sighs> Yeah, I'm not really all that sad. But I'm not going to (laughs) miss (laughs) you. Chapter 28, Scene 1 Commissioner Gordon despaired at returning order to the streets. He had a hundred uniformed policemen stationed around the plaza, and twenty more watched the scene from the upper stories of surrounding buildings. He knew the Penguin, or some of his gang, were around here somewhere, and as soon as they showed themselves, Gordon swore that this time the police would be ready for them. A voice barked static on his remote walkie-talkie. Gordon here, he replied, as he pressed the talk button. The sergeant filled him in from Precinct 12. Someone had tipped off the department. The ice princess was being held on top of a building on the far side of the plaza. So moving on to chapter 28. The first scene is from Gordon's POV. Yay, we're back with Gordon. Yeah. So we learn that he has 120 cops patrolling the, the area. He knows the penguin and or his gang are somewhere, 
Uh, that's detective work right there. They're somewhere. <laughs> There's a, uh, they're somewhere out there. That's all I know. <laughs> yeah. And Gordon swears that this time they'll be ready. Okay. <laughs> you, you set the bar kind of low for yourself there last time, bud. So. This time we'll be ready to turn on the bat signal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> we got Frank over there with his button over the lever. He's, <laughs> he's ready. He's ready to go. <laughs> So a sergeant notifies him via walkie-talkie that they had a tip that the ice princess was being held on top of a building at the far side of the plaza. About that time, someone shouts and points at the roof, and there is Batman, quote, racing across the rooftops with arms outstretched, unquote. Um, A second Klieg light picks up the ice princess on the edge of the roof. And um, this is interesting. So the lights, like one light is on Batman and one light is on the Ice Princess. And the lights shift out of position for a second. And then they come back just in time to show the Ice Princess falling and Batman almost being there with his arms outstretched. So it kind of uh, doesn't illuminate everything. It leaves the impression on the crowd that Batman has pushed her off the roof. Yes. And... Like, the book sets this situation up better than the actual movie does um, with the the fact that everyone's on the ground. You can't see up there very well. The Klieg lights are, you know, even though they're on, you know, like when they're not shining on something, it's really hard to see. So mm-hmm. so you see, they see bits and pieces of it. So it you could say, okay, it looks like Batman pushed her off. Like we'll read here, Gordon, Gordon thinks how I think most everyone would think. <laughs> Uh, like when (laughs) that's how I think normal people would think, but they, we've already got this whipped up angry mob. So they're, they're going to think the worst immediately. Yeah. Never mind that he saved them from the Joker last year and saved them from the acrobats earlier. That's all he does is save them. I mean, so it's like one thing and all of a sudden it's like, he killed her. It's like, oh, are you kidding me? (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, like you mentioned, Gordon, he's always been like fairly logical as a character the only time i've seen him do something stupid was just like in the first movie when the bell had fallen from gotham cathedral down and blocked the door and this is like a twelve thousand pound bell and they're wanting to go up through the steps to to meet with batman and the joker and vicky vale and Gordon goes up to it and kind of puts his shoulder into it. And I'm sure that that's 100% like movie, like, oh, look, they can't get in and the way is barred. And I remember my friends and I, when we were um, commenting on it, we were like, Matt, you can't move that bell. <laughs> Come on, Gordon, you're smarter than this. It's like, I work out, I can move this thing. <laughs> <laughs> but he is smarter than, than that because it says he makes note of how the lights had left the scene. Quote, there was no way to tell exactly what had happened. It was much more likely that Batman was trying to save her, but there was no way you could tell that to an angry crowd, unquote. So, yep. yes. They spell it out for you very well. So. Yes. Chapter 28, Scene 2. The Penguin's plans were perfect. The Ice Princess fell, screaming. No one in the crowd made a sound as she plummeted toward the platform. She hit with a sickening crunch and the penguin heard new sounds coming from the Christmas tree. The button that controlled the lighting of the tree was on the platform. Her body must have hit it at the end of her fall. So she had been able to do her job after all. Too bad it was the last job she would ever do. So the second scene is from Penguin's point of view. Penguin watches as the ice princess falls. And (laughs) this uh, I got a, a little dark chuckle out of this. She just so happened to land on the button that controlled the lighting of the Christmas tree that she would have pushed. 
So she had been able to do her job of lighting the Christmas tree after all. Yeah. <laughs> that was a very darkly <laughs> twisted phrase. <laughs> yeah. And there was the quote, too bad it was the last job she would ever do. <laughs> dun, dun, dun. A very, another very mustache twirly moment. Totally. It wasn't just the lights, though. A penguin had set up cages full of bats in the tree so that when the button was pressed, the cages would open, releasing the bats to the panicked crowd. So, yeah, he definitely, I mean, he has all this this energy and manpower that he does. If he just put it to good, like, what can I do with my brilliance? I know, I want to put bats in trees. Yeah, I know. And it's funny because that, that was always something in the movie. Like, she falls down onto the, the thing, lights the tree, and then all of a sudden the bats come out. I'm like, where, where the hell those bats come from? I was like... Oh, now you know. Th- that always confused me. Now I, re- I read the novelization, and it tells you he sets all that up and to go. And I was like, okay, I get it. It's more... I never, for some reason, never connected that. Even though we had the lawn dart with the bats, and then the tree <laughs> with the bats, I never connected that he handled both. I'm like, why, why was there a bunch of bats in the Christmas tree? But uh, yeah. now I know, so... <laughs> so, um... Let's see. So, yeah, the the bats are heading through the crowd, and uh, Penguin looks back up, and, oh, yeah, Batman is still there. And I like this uh, quote. It said, Batman headed for him in a way that suggested he intended to do great bodily harm. (laughs) So I could just get a a good mental image of him just stalking toward him, just kind of glowering at him. Yeah, that is a good phrase, and it sounds like something the Penguin would say. So he, uh, Penguin, hears commotion on the stairs, and he steps back so that he would be behind the fire door when the police arrived. Chapter 28, Scene 3 They took the elevators to the top floor, then headed up the stairs to the roof. There were a dozen cops in riot gear in front of Gordon, maybe two dozen more behind him. They should be able to handle anything. The men in front of him burst through the door above and quickly fanned out, guns at the ready. Gordon followed as quickly as his weight and age would allow. He reached the roof to see all guns pointed at Batman, outlined by the Klieg lights at the edge of the roof. Wait, Batman called. Hold your fire, Gordon began, but his words were lost under gunfire as a hail of bullets pushed Batman off the edge of the roof. So that brings us then to scene three, which is back to Gordon's point of view. And he and a total of three dozen cops in riot gear had headed to the top of this building. They they took an elevator up and then were waiting on the stairs to the roof. And so when they all get there, they, they start going up there. They burst out onto the roof. Gordon reaches the roof to see guns pointed at Batman, uh, who is outlined by the Klieg lights. And Batman says, wait. And Gordon says, hold your fire. But they light him up and Batman falls off the edge of the roof. Yeah, I mean, this is a classic like movie thing with cops completely ignoring any kind of authority whatsoever and just firing at whoever they think should be fired at. Um, mm-hmm. and, and so it, it just seems like uh, and, and 36 cops was a lot. I was like, it must have taken them forever to get everyone up there. But, uh, yeah. but yeah, I was reading this. And I was thinking like, I mean, you see that all the time. It's like they're all up there and they're pointing at Batman. You know, every one of them's thinking that he's the one that killed the ice princess and Regardless of what Gordon says, like they're just gonna they're gonna start shooting. Yep, and it's funny thinking that you know they probably didn't have a big service ele- elevator. They probably just had like a small, old, decrepit <laughs> elevator, so they could only go up six at a time. Yeah, right. And it's yeah. slow. <laughs> oh yeah. Anyway, I wondered that too. I wondered how big the elevator was. <laughs> like to get thirty six guys up there. Yeah. <laughs> Chapter twenty nine, scene one. At the end of the last chapter, Batman had fallen off the roof. Such suspense! 
they'll never <laughs> oh yeah they, we, we know right away what happened so I, I i think you know there's not a whole lot of uh narrative or dialogue in this chapter so far but here's a little bit and i think we can uh play this on the stage of rest in peace theater what say you pax I say yay. I, I, did, oh, I almost said nay, which that, that's, not, that's not the answer. <laughs> yay. <laughs> nay is not an answer I would have accepted. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know why I was going to say nay. <laughs> Everyone listening is like, nay, nay, please nay. <laughs> Rest in Peace Theater is proud to present That Time Batman and Catwoman Meet Under the Mistletoe. His body armor had saved him. That and the fact that he had only fallen a short distance to a penthouse terrace maybe a dozen feet below. He tried to stand and found himself pushed back to the ground by a high-heeled boot. Catwoman stood above him, boot still on his chest. She smiled down at him. You're catnip to a girl like me, handsome, dazed, and to die for. She stepped back and leaned down as if she were going to kiss him. She licked him instead cat style across the lips. Batman looked up above her head and realized she was holding a sprig of mistletoe. A kiss under the mistletoe? Mistletoe can be deadly if you eat it. Catwoman smiled, her face still only a few inches away. But a kiss can be even deadlier if you mean it. She reached down to his utility belt and unfastened it with a single flick of her claws. She pulled it from his waist and tossed it off the side of the roof. You're the second man who killed me this week. But hey, no problem. I've got seven lives left. Killed her? He realized she must mean her own fall from that other roof. Maybe now he could explain. I tried to grab you. Save you. She looked meaningfully toward the edge of the roof. Seems like every woman you try to save winds up dead. Or deeply resentful. She grabbed his armor with her claws and yanked him to his feet. Maybe it's time to retire. She swiped toward his mask with her claws. It was time to get out of here. Batman jumped backwards, away from her and off the roof. This time, though, he was ready for the fall. He pressed a small button at his waist, and twin wings sprouted from either side of his armor, turning him into a glider that would gently sail toward the ground. He swooped down, surrounded by the rising bats from the Christmas tree below. That must be another of the penguin's special touches. He'd have to thank the Birdman personally as soon as he'd had a chance to recover. He banked over the crowd, heading for the alley in the Batmobile. He was coming in very fast. He'd have to skirt over the top of the crowd, then try to hit the pavement running. With luck, he could fold in the wings and somersault to a stop. The alley wasn't large enough for the wings. He tried to pull them close as he touched down, but the wings were too awkward to maneuver in this narrow space. He lost his footing and went from a run to a stumble. The left wing shattered against the brick wall as he collapsed forward, skidding on the pavement. Batman groaned. He had hit the ground hard. The ground spun away before him, but he had to get up. Safety was only a few feet away. He had to get to the Batmobile. Yeah, so Batman's just all thumbs so far when dealing with Selina. Yes, yes he is. And this whole um this whole mistletoe is deadly when you eat it scene is is pretty famous for this movie. And it's uh it's slight it's slightly it's like very slightly different in the movie in that um like when she like when he sees the mistletoe it's like high up like someone hung it up on the wall 
and he just spots it <laughs> randomly and mentions it. But in the book, she's actually holding the mistletoe, which makes so much more sense in the book that she's holding it as like this joke over over them. And uh, instead of him just looking randomly to the left and seeing a mistletoe way high up in the air, I thought I just... I like how the book grounds it a little bit more than making yeah. it so random. Because it, it sounds like something more that Selena would do anyway. Yeah. So Batman glides down to the ground after he gets uh, kicked off the roof. But the alley is narrow. Um, he has to pull the wings in. He can't quite maneuver. And he face plants. Yeah. Yeah. Would, would, he's got the glider, right? He pulled he pull the glider out. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it a glider or was it the... Um, I thought, oh, I thought he had turned his, like, had his wings, and I thought, wow, that came out sooner than I thought, but maybe it was a glider. Well, yeah, I think he calls it the glider, but it's like, I don't know, wings that sprout out from his costume or something. I don't know. It's weird, because this is another thing that's a little different in the book. So, like, uh, in the book, he keeps his belt, but when Selena steps on him on the roof here, she actually takes off his utility belt in the book and throws it over the side of the building. And she does not do that in the movie. He keeps his belt. So uh, when he, in the book, in the book and the movie, he goes to the edge and turns on the glider and the wings come out and he goes flying off. But uh, I was thinking like, well, in the movie, if he doesn't, if he, or in the book, if he doesn't have his utility belt, how does he turn on the glider? Because I figured everything was on the utility belt. Well, the book tells us the button is on his waist of the costume. So I'm like, well, it's, I guess a good thing that he decided to put the button for the glider (laughs) on his waist instead of the utility belt. But then yeah. if it's on his waist, it's under the utility belt. You got to tell me it's got to be accidentally pressed every once in a while, right? Like oh my he's in the middle of a fight and all of a sudden his gliders come out and it's just like, what's going on? <laughs> he's back in the back cave with Alfred and he like stretches and a wing pops out and knocks the tea out of Alfred's hand. <laughs> exactly. Or he's walking past a coffee table and hits it. Boom. And then all of a sudden the gliders <laughs> pop out. <laughs> Chapter 29, scene two. The Catwoman and the Penguin sat on the edge of the terrace, watching the Batman's wings collapse in the alley. My, she thought, that did look painful. All in all, a very satisfying fall for the Batman. And the Penguin had brought champagne. He handed over a glass. She looked back at the Penguin. How could he be so happy? Well, of course, they had totally framed and humiliated the Batman. But someone had gotten killed in the process. You said you were going to scare the Ice Princess, she said with a frown. And I kept my word, the penguin replied with continued joviality. The lady looked terrified. Catwoman frowned down at the glass of champagne. She was beginning to think the penguin wasn't her kind of person. So the second scene is from Catwoman's point of view. And, uh, you know, this probably would have been a little bit more dialogue heavy for the Rest in Peace Theater, but it's okay. It's no problem. (laughs) Um, So Catwoman and Penguin watch Batman faceplant, which is kind of funny. (laughs) Um, so while she is happy about the bad landing, she does feel bad that the ice princess died during all this. Mm-hmm. And Selena says to, to Penguin, you said you were going to scare the ice princess. And Penguin says, and I kept my word. The lady looked terrified. I mean, yeah. He makes a point. He makes a valid point. Yeah, he, he probably would have been a decent lawyer finding those uh, verbal <laughs> loopholes. Right. So Catwoman is starting to regret joining forces with Penguin. Um, I liked this quote. He reached within one of the many pockets of his soiled coat and pulled forth what must once have been a box from Tiffany's. It was now rather the worst for the wear, both worn and stained, as it had spent a long time with the Penguin down in the sewers. 
He opened the box, revealing a gold ring that was so amazingly, even horrifyingly overdone with gaudy gems that it was hideous, almost like someone had lost their lunch in the jewelry store. <laughs> she looked back at the penguin. What was he trying to prove? <laughs> Did this show up in the movie? Yeah, this, okay, yeah, so this scene, they have their argument, and but he does not present the ring to her so they're having champagne up there and i was gonna bring this up because the intentions behind these are different like so here in the book he does this ring and it looks like it's kind of this big proposal you know it's like oh let's celebrate our union and it looks like it's kind of a marriage proposal kind of a weird sick marriage proposal Um, Mm -hmm. in the movie it comes across more as like oh he's expecting them now to go like have sex or something like he's propositioning her to have sex instead of like the, being this grand kind of weird, like weird sick gesture of marriage or something like that. So like, but I mean, if you think about it, like we had talked about it, like he, he is kind of leery and kind of creepy that way throughout most yeah. of the book and the movie. It kind of makes sense that like maybe that's what he was doing, but, and maybe he was kind of doing it this way too. And just thought he would be very grand about it with this little fake ring and everything. But, uh, but they have a very similar argument in the movie. Yes. I think because there was the mention in the wedding later in the scene, but I would think, like, when I first saw what Penguin says to her when she's looking at the ring, he says, what are you waiting for? Let's consummate our fiendish union. And that, to me, right away, made me think that he's proposing sex to her as well. True, yeah. So it's just, it's a little bit of both, and I think that's just how Penguin's brain works, apparently. Yeah, and and he's just being more direct about it in the movie, and here in the book... He's just, you know, doing his like weird penguin flair with the ring and everything, I guess. Yeah. I think I like the book better than I like how it came across in the movie. Okay. So, um, Selena's like, uh, no, I wouldn't touch you to scratch you. <laughs> and, you know, Penguin gets a little mad about this and accuses her of sending mixed signals, which I, I didn't really see. I mean, yes, yeah, she kind of comes off as like confidently sexual, mm-hmm. but it didn't seem like she was doing anything special toward him right. i mean she ate his bird <laughs> you know how is that <laughs> this is true but yeah i guess he's talking about signals in general which she is given off these signals but i mean that's that's who she is i mean you're right nothing specific to him and uh she even second guesses herself and here in the book and she's like did i send out these signals and you know and he, she thinks back to her mom and some of her how her mom was but then she's then she stops shaming herself and being like you know what it's like why am i blaming myself it's like i need to blame this this creepy weirdo so uh, i like how she turns back her thinking and it's like no this is not my fault this is him yeah i loved 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 that little bit where she kind of start you know because we don't really get much of a sense of selena kyle the secretary still being in there except the little bit where she was with bruce wayne and there was a mention of like oh you know selena could have learned to like this or whatever but I really like that little, just peeling back that facade a little bit to show that there's still a little bit of um, uncertainty of Selena Kyle in there underneath Catwoman's mask. But then, like you said, she was able to say, you know what? Nope, nope. I promised myself I wouldn't blame myself. It's not my fault. So, yeah, I really like that. Mm-hmm. Let's see. She says, me, domesticated by you, I doubt it. You repulsive, awful penguin. <laughs> And Penguin uh, says, the name is Oswald Cobblepot. And I still tense up before I say that name because I, I, I just cannot say that name for some reason. <laughs> Oswald Cobblepot. I'm getting a little better. <laughs> <sighs> so he throws an umbrella at her, of course, as, as Penguin are wont to do. Yeah. And she dodges it. But the handle, as it goes past, 
becomes a noose that wraps around her neck. And boy, he just thinks of everything in these these uh, umbrellas. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it's like it's like the umbrellas are his utility belt. So, I mean, he's got yeah, every kind basically. of variation. Mm-hmm. So the noose is around her neck. The ribs of the umbrella spin like a little helicopter. So we, we've seen this before where the umbrella kind of takes off like a helicopter. Yep. And it's lifting her in the air by the neck. And a Penguin gives a parting shot. Uh, he says, and the wedding's been called off. So we get a little mention of the wedding there as well. Right. Which in the movie, uh, the wedding's been called off, which I think is funny. But in the movie, when he does it, he's like, I don't think I like you anymore. And then he does it and <laughs> she goes off. So I, I think that's funny too. So I, like, yeah. <laughs> I could go either way on that one. <laughs> <laughs> and it was kind of funny. Like the very last sentence of the scene was he was going to hang her with his umbrella. I'm like, yeah, yeah, we, we, you know, we get it. <laughs> we, we got that. <laughs> <laughs> we got that, Martin. Thank you, though. <laughs> Chapter 30, Scene 1 She saw the penguin turn moodily away as the umbrella whirled her away from the rooftop and out over Gotham City. But she would strangle. There had to be some way to loosen the noose. She reached up with her claws, striking at the rope that stretched across the back of her neck. She sliced through it. She could breathe. But she was no longer being held aloft by the umbrella, which went spinning ever higher as she fell. So moving on to Chapter 30... And the first scene is from Catwoman's point of view. So she's right away. We're, we're back to where she was. She's up in the sky hanging by the neck. So just like she did with the Ice Princess's bindings, she uses her claws to reach up and swipes through the rope. So she can breathe now, but now she's falling. This time she falls through a roof. Last time when she fell off the, the building she landed in a, was like a gravel truck or something or sand truck. Yeah. Yeah. I think we, we had that argument. It's like I always... Or not an argument. We had that discussion where I always saw it as like, was it sand? And she called it kitty litter or something like that. Mm -hmm. But yeah, but yeah, yeah. So this time it's a big glass greenhouse. Yeah. So she lands uh, in dirt and surrounded by flowers. So she land had landed in this penthouse greenhouse, and she just out of anger she yells because she has just used up another one of her lives. And that was that for that one. I wonder how many times I could say that in a sentence. <laughs> <laughs> That's my Appalachia coming in. That was that. <laughs> that, that. Chapter 30, Scene 2. There were banners and posters all over the place. Windows, telephone poles, even the campaign bus. And all saying, in a dozen different ways, to vote for Cobblepot for mayor. The Penguin loved those slogans. Max's boys were so good at those sort of things. His supporters clustered around him, cheering. So why couldn't he shake this gloom? Maybe it had something to do with killing not one babe, but two. It seemed like such a good waste of woman flesh, especially before he and those babes could become more personally acquainted. He pulled a handful of campaign buttons out of one of his many pockets and started to pin them on the chest of his supporters, his female supporters, his well-endowed female supporters. Hey, he started to feel better already. What was a dead babe or two when there were all these other babes to go around? Chapter 30, scene two is from Penguin's point of view. So he is, I think, back in maybe his campaign office. I'm not, it's not really clear, but he's surrounded by campaign material, which he loved, but he can't shake his bad mood. Mm. Perhaps it was because he'd killed not only one babe, but two. Such a waste of good woman flesh. Ugh. <laughs> like that phraseology. <laughs> so to make himself feel better. He withdraws some campaign buttons and starts pinning them on the well-endowed female supporters. So he's at, at like a penguin rally. Yeah. What was a dead babe or two when there were all these other babes to go around? 
Yeah, so creepy penguin's back now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, he, he wasn't down for long. <laughs> yeah. So he bids his supporters, especially the well-endowed ones, I'm sure, bids them a fond adieu, then, uh, quote, jumped aboard his bus and hurried back to his specially designed miniature Batmobile, complete with switches, meters, dials, knobs, levers, buttons, and a mini steering wheel, unquote. And these, of course, control the real thing. And this sounds like fun. This little mini Batmobile thing. It looks like a Walmart <laughs> ride-on toy. <laughs> That's what I was imagining. I hope, I hope it did. Uh, I love... This is like a big visual memory for me is that little Batmobile that he rides in and controls the Batmobile from. Because I always thought that was... If you're going to steal the Batmobile and have it remote controlled, this is the way to do it. And I love the visual of that. I, and... I, I I felt like there should have been like a Happy Meal or something of the penguin in this little Batmobile. That, <laughs> oh, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. I've always thought that. So this is one of my favorite things is seeing, even though I don't like the idea of this whole Batmobile infiltration thing, I love the idea of him remote controlling the Batmobile with this little mini rig of the Batmobile. It's great. Yeah. <laughs> I love that. When you mentioned the Happy Meal toy, I could totally picture him in his union suit even though he's probably clothed here but just yeah that that would be perfect and i think this is a great idea if you're in a bad mood just just find a remote controlled batmobile and let loose i i want to do this yep chapter 30 scene 3 his body had taken too much abuse too many punches and kicks and bullets compounded by his crash into the alley his body armor had absorbed some of the shock but his body had received the rest of it Somehow, Batman got to his feet. Somehow, he made it to the Batmobile. He pressed the button beneath his glove and switched off the security system. And not a moment too soon, he thought, as he heard angry voices behind him. He could make out enough of their shouts as he popped open the door to the Batmobile to figure out the source of their anger. They wanted him, and not necessarily alive. They thought he had murdered the Ice Princess. In their minds, he was already tried, convicted, and ready for execution. Now that they'd found him, they weren't going to let him get away. A whole mob of self-appointed vigilantes. So, uh, scene three is from Batman's point of view. So Batman, after his face plant, is feeling a little beat up. Because um, he just got shot off of a building and kicked off another building. And hasn't really done anything other than ungag the Ice Princess. I think that's about all he's done. Yeah. Yeah, because he didn't even untie her. Selena did that. Yeah, that's true. But uh, so he he makes it to the Batmobile and switches off the security system just in time, too, because the angry mob is coming at him. He realizes that they thought he had killed the Ice Princess and quote, vigilantes. It had a familiar ring to it. What made them so different from Batman? Only perhaps that he had the money for the proper training and the state of the art equipment. And maybe just maybe he had his anger under a little more control, unquote. Maybe for now. <laughs> Maybe for now. But I, this is this is a nice bit of self awareness from Batman mm -hmm. about uh, comparing himself to vigilantes. I uh, I like that little moment. Definitely. So he gets into the driver's seat and he exhales, feeling a little safer. Uh, but then the Batmobile roars to life without him having touched a thing. So I can just kind of imagine his eyes just opening wide. If it, you know, it'd, it'd freak me out if my car, if I had a powerful vehicle <laughs> like this, it just kind of roared to life under me. So the monitor on the dashboard comes on, but instead of Alfred, he sees the penguin's face. And Penguin says, 
Don't adjust your set. Welcome to the Oswald Cobblepot School of Driving. Gentlemen, start your screaming. Which I love that little line. He says that line in the movie. I love it too. And the Batmobile jumps forward, sending the angry crowd ducking for cover. So that's not going to win him any love from the already angry mob. (laughs) Nope, not at all. (laughs) (laughs) Chapter 30, Scene 4. The Penguin had it all. He had two screens in front of him. One showed him Batman's face. Very tense. Definitely type A personality. If Batman weren't careful, he'd get an ulcer. That is, if he lived long enough which you wouldn't. The second screen showed a driver's eye view of where the Batmobile was going. Very important, since the penguin was doing the steering, and no doubt he would steer the Batmobile straight into an accident. But it had to be a spectacular accident, and the Batmobile should run over as many innocent bystanders as possible before it happened. After all, why sully a hero's reputation when, with just a little more effort, you could destroy it completely? Moving on to scene four... Penguin has, it's from Penguin's point of view, he's got two screens in front of him. One shows Batman's face, which is very tense, and he's worried about Batman getting an ulcer, which is very nice. I know, that's a nice one. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, the second screen shows a driver's eye view of where the Batmobile was going, which is important because he wants to run over as many innocent bystanders as possible. And I love this line. Quote, After all, why sully a hero's reputation when, with just a little more effort, you could destroy it completely? Unquote. Yep. Yeah, just just put your mind to it. Just just if you if you love it, work for it, and just put your all into it. Exactly. Because if you just if you just do it a little bit, they could possibly come back. So just to destroy it completely, you never have to worry about them again. Yeah, go big or go home. Exactly. Go big or go home. As my my husband and I will say, like. You know, people who say go big or go home, they really underestimate my willingness to go back home. (laughs) Exactly. It's a lot more comfortable. (laughs) Yes, it is. Back in the Batmobile, Penguin tells Batman, it might be a bad time to mention that his license has expired. (laughs) And of course, so have you. Like, wait, like Penguin had a license? I would have been, I was surprised (laughs) about that. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't, yeah. He's doing a decent job with all these knobs and, and buttons and levers of the Batmobile. That's true. But yeah, I would be curious. I mean, he drove that little, um, what was it, that that rubber ducky duck. mobile. Yeah, he did. <laughs> but, you know, probably something like that doesn't require a license per se, but you know, he has a little bit of experience. <laughs> he does. I mean, he doesn't need much more than that because he wants to hit things, so. <laughs> exactly. So when you set the bar low like that, I mean. Put your mind to it, you can accomplish anything. Exactly. So what do you think of these few chapters here? Uh, we're, get, we're getting to some of the good stuff in here with the confrontation between Batman and Penguin. And we've had a couple of good uh, interactions with Penguin and Catwoman. So, I mean, they've got a good triumvirate here. I mean, this Penguin, I said, is not my favorite iteration of the Penguin, but it's mm-hmm. certainly fun. And it's certainly like... Just like we said, go big or go home. That's what they're doing with this penguin. And it's certainly fun when you can kind of get into it. Yeah. I kind of liked it how in the first Batman movie, which was basically the first one since uh, like the 60s movie, right? Where you had all that camp and bright color. So I think the, the the 89 Batman was like a first really big look into like the dark side of Batman. And then... They kept some of that in the second movie, but I feel like maybe a little bit more of the camp leaked in than had done in the first movie. So I don't know. I mean, there's still a little bit in the first movie. Joker was certainly a character, but I feel like more so here, there's a little bit of a... 
little bit of the, the, the absurd coming in. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there definitely is. So, all right. Uh, so that about wraps up chapters, what was it, 26 through 30? Yep. So next time we'll hit chapters 31 through 35. And I should have kept my place in the book. Let me see how far we have gotten to. Oops. Check real quick to see. So uh, 31 starts on page 168, and there's only 230 pages. So we're, we're just about done here. Man, that is crazy. Yeah. So if we actually keep to a schedule, and if I can get myself to put uh, episodes out in a timely manner, we'll get through this before the new year. I can feel it. Ooh. <laughs> so exciting. <laughs> yes. Uh, if you'd like to send comments or questions, you can reach out to me at darknightpros at gmail.com. You can find me on Twitter at BatmanBooks underscore DKP. Um, I also have a Facebook page. I'm not real active on there. I just kind of use it as a place to post episodes. So best place to find me is on uh, Gmail or on Twitter. Pax, would you like to tell the lovely listeners where they can find you? Sure. Uh, you could find me on Twitter under my name, uh, at Paxton Holly, P-A-X-T-O-N-H-O-L-L-E-Y. Um, and... I have a couple of podcasts, but the ones most one most relevant to say listeners of this show would be my I Read Movies podcast. It's a monthly podcast all about movie novelization. Nice. So, what what are some of the other podcasts that you do? Um, I do a cult film podcast called Cult Film Club, which is semi monthly. You know, stuff's been going on, so so it's not as monthly as we'd like. But uh, we cover like seventies, eighties, and nineties like cult films. Uh, Some some of our favorite stuff and. I have a Western podcast called... Uh, oh, that one I didn't know about. Yeah, called Hellbent for Letterbox. Friend Michael and I, we each pick a Western movie and we talk about it. Love it. Love it. All right. Um, so that about does it. And let me see. I always forget how I end these things because so much time passes. Thank you for joining us again, listeners. And until next time, happy reading. Batman is copyrighted to DC Comics and was created by Bob Kane and Bill Finger. <laughs>